What's up, Trace Church? How are we feeling this morning? How's everybody doing? Man, I tell you what, I feel a little rusty. It's been 12 weeks since I preached. I feel like I need to do some calisthenics or something up here and get warmed up, get ready to go. But man, we're incredibly grateful. Uh, we're honored. We're excited. We're all the things that you're here this morning. We're all the things. We're so excited. And I would say that to you if you're here this morning. Maybe you're a skeptic and you're still wondering, what in the world am I doing in a place like this. And if that's you, man, we, uh, or woman, uh, we love that you're here. We're thankful that you're a part of this. We started this church for people like you. They're looking, searching, asking questions. And so you're absolutely welcome today. But if maybe you're here and you're a saint, you've been following Jesus for a long time. And if that's you, man, I'm incredibly grateful and excited that you're here as well. We don't show up here on Sunday morning just to to sing with empty words and to listen from the word of God so that we can just walk out of here the same people. Hopefully we show up here on Sunday morning with a hope and desire to allow God to shape us and to reshape us and define us and to redefine us as we're moving forward uh, through life. And so my hope is that's your posture as you've come here today. Listen, I believe this is the greatest opportunity that you could have on an average week. Like on an average week, this is the greatest opportunity that you could have for a defining moment in your life. And we're gonna talk a lot about that today. And here's what I don't know. I don't know what your defining moment needs to be. I don't know what your defining moment needs to look like. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your own personal faith crisis. Maybe you've been struggling with a mental illness. Maybe you're trying to figure out what to do next because you've got a big decision in front of you. I don't know what that defining moment needs to be for you, but what I do know is your greatest opportunity to have a defining moment with Jesus is right now in this morning. And so I want to pray for that. I want to pray for this morning, and then we'll jump into my sermon. God, thank you. Thank you that when we show up here, that we're not needing to put on some kind of performance. We don't need to act like we're somebody that we're not. We don't even need to act like our life isn't broken because we're all a broken mess and we need Jesus. And so, God, as we kind of navigate through some things this morning together as as a church family, I pray that you would bring clarity where it's needed. I pray that you would give us wisdom where it's needed, and I pray that you would allow for a defining moment where it's needed. And so, God, allow your Holy Spirit to move powerfully this morning beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Well, we decided to kick off this particular series because we knew that there are some areas in our life, there are just some decisions we make in our life that we don't necessarily think through the long-term consequences when we're in the midst of that moment and we make certain decisions from one day to the next. And so we decided to put this series together called Long Game because there are long-term consequences to the decisions that we do or don't make today. I mean, you know this, right? The decisions that we make today will, in a great part, shape and determine the future that we get to live in tomorrow. But I don't think our negligence in making some of those decisions, I don't think we pay a whole lot of attention to it because from one day to the next, it doesn't seem all that significant, right? I mean, just from one day to the next, our negligence in in not paying attention or paying attention to the wrong things and making decisions from this day to this day, maybe we don't necessarily see where that's going to allow us to end up one day in the future, which is why I think it's really important that we slow down at times and we focus in on the decisions that we're making and we try to put a little bit more foresight to them instead of just living in hindsight. And so my hope behind this series is that we would all kind of pause, we would all maybe take some moments of reflection and thought and conversation with our family or friends or spouse or whatever that looks like, and we would talk through, hey, what is it that we're probably not paying enough attention to now that ultimately will ultimately lead to some consequences 
that honestly, listen to me, honestly, could be catastrophic. Case in point, if you were watching the news at all over the summer, you likely heard a story or you saw some images about this condo in Florida that collapsed. And uh, you know this, like condos don't just collapse. And so it spawns some investigations and and spawns some people looking more deeply into like, how did this happen? Like, why did this happen? And ultimately what they found is that there were a lot of people that over time allowed small compromises to take root. And not just compromises in their decisions, but they were allowing certain compromises in the integrity of the structure of this building to to go overlooked. And man, I can't speak for them, but man, can't, can't you imagine the people that were in charge of inspecting that building from one day, one week, one year to the next, over a decade probably of overlooking small compromises within the structure that ultimately led to 96 people 97 actually losing their life. You see, when we become too comfortable with our complacency, the result can be catastrophic. Let me say it differently. When we grow content, when we grow content with our complacency, the result can be catastrophic. And if I can, I'm just going to add one word to that. Because based on what we're talking about today, I feel like I need to add one word to that. When we grow content with our spiritual complacency, When we become content with our spiritual complacency, I believe the result can be catastrophic. So let me ask you a question this morning, a rhetorical question. What areas of your life, what areas or area of your faith right now are you not paying enough attention attention to? In other words, you've become content with being complacent. I don't need to make church a priority. I don't necessarily need to read my Bible and learn about the the things and ways of God and Jesus. I don't need to be a part of a community of other believers. I don't need to serve other people on a consistent basis. And you've just allowed some contentment to come into a place that's led you to be okay with your complacency. What areas of your life could that be happening right now? And let me just ask you the question, what's the long game there? What's the long game there? I mean, think how different our decisions would be today if we knew the damage that they would cause in the future. Just think about it. I'm certain that if you knew that neglecting your health would ultimately lead to that diagnosis, you probably would have done some things different sooner. If we knew that neglecting that crack in the ceiling or in the wall would ultimately lead to tens of thousands of dollars of foundational damage, we probably would have acted sooner. If you could have known that looking at porn would lead to such a major problem in your marriage, you probably never would have started to begin with. If we knew, listen to me, if we knew, and young people, listen to me, if we knew that being sexually promiscuous was going to cause so much pain in our future relationships, we probably would have taken purity more seriously. If we only knew, if we only knew that waiting 45 minutes in an in-and-out drive-thru was only going to deliver a mediocre cheeseburger at best, you probably would have done something more meaningful with your life. Amen? <laughs> and you know what we do? You know, I, I, what, we, what we do is we get on the other end of some of these decisions and we, 
we use the old adage, well, hindsight's 2020, right? And so in other words, man, if I knew then what I know now, maybe I would have done some things differently. But sometimes if we're not careful, we use that old adage in a way that's justifying. We use that old adage in a way that kind of becomes passive in the decisions that we're making from one day to the next. And it just allows us to kind of let ourselves off of the hook. Oh, yeah, man, if I knew then what I know now, I'd have done some things different. Hindsight, hindsight is 2020. But why, why don't we take the time to practice more foresight? Like, why don't we, especially in the, in the areas of life that matter the most, I'll give you four really quick ones, faith, family, friendships, and finances. Why don't we take a little bit more time on the front end to think through, hey, what are we doing now or not doing now that will ultimately lead to a place in the future that we don't want to be? Which leads me to what I want to talk about today, because unfortunately, I've been watching the spirit of passivity grow even among Christians, especially among Christians. And I believe that if we don't talk about it, if I don't, as a pastor, if I don't enter into this with you, the result in the future, honestly, listen to me, honestly, could be spiritually catastrophic. And the, pass, or the, the subject that I want to talk to you about today is around God's church. So who's ready for the pastor to guilt you in the direction of God today? Anybody ready for that? Anybody ready? <laughs> If you're new to this place, if you're new to faith at all, I want to be the first to tell you that God doesn't use guilt. Not, neither will I. God, God doesn't use guilt. Like, I'm not here to give you a guilt trip about your attendance in a church. I am here to make sure that you understand the purpose of it. But I'm not here to give you a guilt trip about your attendance in a church. And you just need to know this about God. If you don't know a lot about him yet, he'll never use guilt to guide you anywhere. He'll never use guilt to guide you anywhere, and so I don't want to do that either, but he does want you to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. He desperately wants you to be more full of his son, Jesus, and so do I. And you know what one of his greatest tools for that to take place was? To help that to take place, it was his church. One of the number one reasons that God put this thing called church together is so that you could grow and develop in Jesus, not just you, but with people around you. And so I want to make a very clear case this morning of why the church shouldn't just be an option, because listen to me, for so many Christians, the church has just become an option, and I don't think it should be an option because I believe it's the greatest opportunity for God to give you a defining moment on any given week. Can we all agree? Like, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your church history has been like and what it looked like for you growing up. I don't know any of that. But can we all agree today that church isn't the priority that it once was? Can we just all agree there that church isn't the priority that it once was? And again, if you're new to all of this and you're just trying to kind of get going, I am incredibly grateful that you're here. But I want to take a moment and just talk to my church folks a little bit. You know, if you grew up in the church, how many of you, just by show of hands, like it was church Sunday morning, it was church Sunday night, it was Wednesday night. Give me see your hands really quick. It was Wednesday night. It was the, the Christmas pageants. Bet you didn't know this about your pastor. But I used to rock a mean set of handbells in the Christmas pageant. First Baptist Church of Paris, Kentucky. It's all in the wrist extension. <laughs> and they kicked me out because I started playing Hell's Bells by ECDC. No, I didn't do that. I wish that was true. That would have been kind of cool. It's not lost on me that some people have 
not allowed or not made church a priority anymore because of the experiences that they once had. It's not lost on me that that's true. You know people and I do. We did an entire series on this back in the spring called Church Hurt. And if you weren't around to hear that series, I really would encourage you to go back and watch it. You may know somebody that needs to hear that. Join our YouTube page, the best way to watch those sermons. It's not lost on me, but really I don't want to focus in on that today as much as I just want to encourage us, encourage us and even challenge this growing perspective that attending a church regularly doesn't really need to be a priority. It's just another option. And so as people who are committed to following Jesus and wanting to grow in Jesus, we need to come to the table with at least a question, God, is that what you wanted? Is that what you had in mind when you implemented this thing that we call the church? Is that what you wanted for us just to make this another option for our weekend, like to to be put in this long list of other options on any given weekend that we have to choose from? And so maybe if there's something a little bit more compelling today, we'll just set aside because it's not a priority. We'll just set this thing aside and we'll go to the mountains instead. We'll watch the football game instead. We'll, get, we'll sleep in because we had a little bit much to drink, too much to drink last night. We'll do that instead. Is that, what, is that what God had in mind? This is Tony Evans. Tony is a very popular pastor. We're a well-known pastor of a church down in Texas. And here recently he put out a tweet that has been getting a lot of buzz online. He said this, he said, I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they're absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone and in Christ alone. But you also don't need to have a, you also don't need to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. Let me say it this clear. And I'm gonna use the word almost just because I'm sure there, there is a case somewhere where this is happening. I just don't know of any. So just personally speaking, okay, I don't know of any particular cases where this is happening. So I'm going to use the word almost. Here's the statement. Almost never, almost never will decrease church attendance increase your devotion to God. Personally, I can't tell you of somebody that I know where decreased church attendance actually increased their devotion to God. Is it probably happening out there somewhere and with some people? Probably. Now, some of you are already thinking to yourself and maybe even having an internal conversation or argument with me, well, Aaron, it depends on how you define the church, man, because the church is not a place. It's a people. We are the church, right? Yeah, so. And I would argue back, yes. And no. And don't worry, we're getting to a place where I'm going to build a biblical framework for you. I just got a little bit longer of of an on-ramp today before we get there. But I would answer that yes and no. Recently, I've read some things and listened to some, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I read a lot of different things online, and I I read an article, um, it was in a fairly well-known Christian magazine about, and the title was, Stop Inviting People to Church. And the argument of this guy was why we need to stop inviting people to church. It was stupid. I'm coming back off my sabbatical almost like an angry prophet from the Old Covenant. I apologize. But <clears throat> and he, he shared some things where, like, I get where you're coming from, but and it's like, man, you know, the, the, what we're doing here is really weird to people that are outside the doors, but wasn't that the case for all of us at some point? 
And ultimately what I came, the conclusion that I came to and the, one, the thing that I want to like give to you today and challenge you with today just per that you know, statement and per that article I read is, listen, if you don't like or don't want or don't feel comfortable inviting somebody here, full permission to go find a church where you do. Now make sure they're a Bible-believing church that's elevating the name of Jesus and presenting the gospel every single week. But if you don't feel comfortable inviting people to this church, Man, permission to go find a church where you do, because we're working really hard to create a culture here where you're both being challenged, your spiritual complacency is being challenged, but also creating a long table. I'm going to be talking about this on our five-year anniversary here in a couple weeks. We're creating a long table for all people from all walks of life to come and be able to sit at the table and to learn from Jesus. And we don't get it right every week. We don't get it right probably but half the time, but we're working hard to create that kind of environment and that kind of of culture. And let me just take a time out really quick. I'm getting, um, here we go. Let me take a time out really quick and just remind you and plead with you to be careful of the information that you consume online. Anybody can say anything, and there is an endless fountain of information in this abyss called the internet where you can go, and if you need to support your agenda or opinion, you'll be able to find it. And you'll be able to read all kinds of things that are completely asinine and antagonistic against the gospel. And some people will do so underneath the banner of faith. And so can I just implore you to be careful of the fountains that you drink from? Be careful of the fountains that you drink from. So before we listen to some disgruntled troll online talk about his deconversion story and allow that to influence our opinion or our view of God and his church, shouldn't we go to the source himself first? I mean, if Jesus is the one who designed the church, isn't it fair to say that he's the one that should de define it? Isn't that fair? Is that fair? And so I want to show you the first time that Jesus ever brought up this idea we call the church. Now, there's a lot of interesting cultural context in which we will find ourselves in order for us to have a deeper understanding of what Jesus meant when he used this word church. The Greek word is ekklesia, so you'll hear me use that word a lot. The New Testament is written in Greek. When you see the word church in your New Testaments, the Greek word there is ekklesia, and it's important to, it's important to know that. But there's an interaction. You can go ahead and throw that passage up there. There's an interaction happening between Jesus and his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus looks at him and says, guys, who do you say that I am? Who do they say? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples start giving him answers, and then it gets to Simon Peter in verse 16. And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church. Now this is not really... My sermon, I've preached this before in the past, but I'm just going to take a moment to hit on this really quick, especially for our Catholic friends that are with us. This is where we would differ a little bit because the Catholic Church uh, believes that when Jesus is looking at Peter, he's saying, Peter, on this rock, you, I'm going to build my church. And uh, we don't believe that. And the reason we don't believe that is because if you look at the two Greek words there, he says, now I say that you are Peter. He uses, he uses the feminine Greek word for Peter because it means rock. Now that I say that you are Peter and upon Jesus, uh, I'm Jesus here, okay? And upon this rock, you're Peter, and Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, I could give you tons of biblical evidence that that's 
what Jesus means here, but that's not really my sermon today. If you want to sit down and talk about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. So he says, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. This is the first time Jesus uses this word. Now, what you need to know is that oftentimes, most often, almost always, this church was never, or I'm sorry, this word was never used in a spiritual context. And so when his disciples hear this, again, you just have to understand this, a good cultural context. When his disciples hear this, they're like, well, that's an interesting word for him to use. Guys, I'm telling you that on this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Can we just stay here for a moment? It sounds like there are some powers that are involved with hell, with our enemy, and what, what he's capable of. But Jesus says, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, which means there's got to be more what? Power in what God's putting together. If all the powers of hell cannot conquer it, then, the, then this idea that Jesus is implementing right now for the first time in this moment, he's saying it's going to have more power than all the powers of hell. You just need to understand that because I promise you I'm taking us somewhere this morning. But when the disciples hear this for the first time, they immediately would have thought, ecclesia, Jesus, that's an interesting word. And in their minds and in that context, they would have known ecclesia as this assembly of people, oftentimes political in nature, sometimes military in nature. And what would happen is a herald would come into a city, any given city, and he would call out. He would say, everybody come out of your homes. We've got something we've got to talk about, something incredibly important. We're going to meet down at the five and dine. Like, come everybody out of your homes. We've got something, like, there's a, there's a disease, there's a plague, there's something that we have to figure out together. And this was even more prevalent in Greek culture and society and sometimes even um, military in nature, go ahead and put that verse back up there if that's okay, where the herald would come in and say, everybody out of your house, we've got an enemy that's coming and we have to get together, we have to assemble together, we gotta form a plan so that we can attack the oncoming enemy. Can you see any correlation here? Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia, my gathering, my assembly, so that we can put a movement together, a plan together, that will force the gates of hell, and they don't have any chance. Does anybody want to be a part of something like that? And so Jesus is trying to help them to understand what he means when he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia, jump down to verse 19, and he says, and I'll give you the kingdom, keys to the kingdom of heaven. Again, some people would interpret this, he's still talking to Peter. No, he's now talking to the entire group, and I'll, I'll show you an example of why we know this here in a minute. And he says, and I will give you, guys, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth, this is kind of a weird statement, whatever you for, forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. If you look, read of another translation, it says, whatever you loose on earth will be loosened in heaven. It's kind of weird. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Here's how I would capture that for our current context today. This statement is Jesus alluding to, hey, I'm going to build something. It has to do with you guys coming together and being a part of it together. And then I want you to be in agreement. I'm going to build something that's going to allow you guys to come together to move this mission forward, but I need you guys to be in agreement. And so as Jesus is defining church for them, ecclesia for the first time in the existence of the new covenant, I think these are 
I think this is the sentiment. This is the idea. This is what he had in mind. I want you to gather. I want you to gather in agreement. And when you do, there's power. When you do, you're going to feel my presence. We see this another time where Jesus uses the exact same language. If we jump over to Matthew chapter 18, same thing. And this is the next time that Jesus is talking about the context of ecclesia. He's talking about the church in Matthew 18, uh, right before the verse we're going to read. And so we're starting in 18. In verse 17, he's talking about the church. Okay, that's not yet, but uh, Jesus is talking about the church. He's talking about the ecclesia. And he says, hey, when there's a when somebody has sinned against somebody else, like in this room, when somebody, when one of you guys does something wrong to somebody else in this room, like bring it to the church so the church can help you to understand how to figure it out. Because if you go to the culture, if you, you go to the avenues of figuring out disagreement and problems and stuff out in our culture, you're going to end up in a lawsuit with each other. So like bring it to the church. So again, he mentions the church, this this group of people that are gathering together to move this mission forward. And then he says the exact same thing. He says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Second time he says this, in the context of church. I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus says, I want you to gather, but not just gather. I want you to be in agreement. I want you to gather in agreement. Verse 19, I also tell you this. If two, or, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything that you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Which means if you're by yourself, you're screwed. Too, too bad. Sucks for you. We make fun of this all the time, actually, as people in ministry, where it's like, hey, too bad if you're on your own. Like, Jesus like, peace out. You know, wait till you get another buddy, and then we'll talk. So is God not with you when you're by yourself? No, of course not. He is. Of course he is. Of course he's with you. But we also can't dismiss the fact that God uses a plural illustration. Okay? So something happens differently. Can we at least agree with, agree with that? Something happens differently when more than one person comes together in the name of Jesus and they gather in agreement. Are we correct to say that church isn't a building? Yeah. And again, this is not an exhaustive study even on the word church, because if you go throughout the New Covenant, you'll see where the church, we call it the Big C Church in ministry. You'll see where it talks about the Big C Church, which is all believers around the world. And then you'll see more often this, what we call Little C Church, which is the, cur- the church in its cultural context. It's the church in its local expression, which is what we do every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning when we arrive here, we are, exp- we are an expression of this thing that Jesus implemented 2,000 years ago that has kept moving and it keeps moving and moving and moving. And so we gather here with more than just one person. When we gather in agreement, listen to me, I believe God's power and God's presence is on display. And so we should show up here on Sunday mornings. Man, I've been preaching to my staff about this They'll tell you for the last two weeks. We should show up here on Sunday morning with invitation and expectation for God to do amazing things. And maybe if that's not where you're at and you're like, man, I'm just struggling to even be here today. I believe, and this is an opinion, 
I believe you get to benefit. Even if you're here today, you're not even a follower of Jesus. I believe you get to benefit from the fact that there's a lot of believers in Jesus around you inviting God to show up. I believe you get to benefit from that. When we gather in agreement, I believe God's presence and God's power is on display in a deeper, more meaningful way. We see this in the very first gathering of God's church after Jesus was ascended, right? He was dead, he was buried, he resurrected, then he ascended into heaven. And then all the believers got together, at least most of them, in Acts chapter 2. They got together and Peter got up and preached a message. My bet it was a mediocre message at best. He didn't know how to do this thing. And so he got up and he preached what he knew how to preach. Maybe they sang some songs, I don't know. But 3,000 people were saved that day because I believe God's power and God's presence is on display when we gather in agreement. When we're in agreement, when we're in agreement that there is no name under heaven in which you can be saved, when we're in agreement that Jesus is in the business of changing and transforming lives, when we're in agreement that Jesus will break chains of addiction and he can heal broken marriages, when we're in agreement that Jesus didn't just come to give us eternal life, I believe he came to give us a better way of life. I believe he can make you a better husband, a better wife, a better mother, a better father, a better friend, a better neighbor. And I believe every time that you show up in places like this, that you have the opportunity for a defining moment, some redirection some healing to take place, for hope to be made alive once again. I believe, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Listen, I'm not negating anything that God does and will do outside of those doors. I'm just telling you, based on what Jesus said and how he implemented this thing that you're a part of this morning, I believe there's power and there's a deeper sense of God's presence that's made available for you and for me. And so should, should this just be an option? Among a list of a bunch of other options, no, it should be a priority. You see, when we gather here underneath the banner of Jesus, we're all learning how to love better, hopefully. When we gather in agreement underneath this banner of love, the kind of love that God says, hey, it's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking. The kind of love that I want you to gather underneath keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. It always trusts. When we gather here in agreement, we're underneath the banner of love that always trusts, always hopes. Somebody needs to hear that again. It always hope, it hope, it always protects and it will always persevere. Anybody else in agreement with me this morning that God's love will never fail? An option? No. A priority? Yes. Are there different ways to gather outside of this building in your homes and in different contexts? 100%. Have you potentially become spiritually complacent when it comes to the priority of God's plan A to reach a lost and broken world? When Jesus put this thing together called his ecclesia, guys, this is my plan. If you want to try to go do something different with your life, go for it, but just know that you're outside of my plan. This is my plan. I want to 
transition and talk to you a little bit about my time on my sabbatical. Um, because I was away, you know, for as long as I was, I got several opportunities to go and visit some other churches and be a part of other ecclesias, be a part of other gatherings. And I think it was six different churches that I got to go visit, which is really cool. Some of them my friends led and some of them I didn't know anybody. And it was, it was, it was a great refreshment for me because instead of just showing up to a place like this and knowing all the responsibilities I had, I got to just experience And without going into a lot of detail, I'll let you know that there were some discouraging things that happened to me over my sabbatical. And there was one particular Sunday that we showed up at a place like this and we're there and I wasn't in a very worshipful mood and I'm a pastor. <laughs> Anybody ever showed up to church and weren't, you weren't in a worshipful mood? Some of you are there right now. And I don't say this as a knock on the church or anything. You know, there was nothing like phenomenal about the worship, nothing phenomenal about the sermon. It wasn't bad. It was just nothing phenomenal. But in this moment of feeling a deep sense of discouragement, God comforted me. I wasn't even asking for it. He just comforted me in a way that only he, he knows how. And I just felt like he was saying, son, I'm here. I'm with you never left and I know how you're feeling right now and I just want to whisper to you today that it's going to be okay and I was reminded in that moment man church should never be an option because it's the greatest opportunity for you to have a defining moment in any given week it was a defining moment for me that morning and I was just reminded of the importance and the priority that the ecclesia should be I don't know what your defining moment needs to be from one week to the next, but do I believe that God's power and presence is on display in a deeper way? On a Sunday morning, you better believe I do. Even if I journey back through my life, I think about some of the most defining moments of my life. I remember being 10 years old and I was in a room like this and the preacher preached a message and I felt deeply convicted about my sin and so I repented and I gave my life to Jesus that day and I was saved and then, like many of you, I drifted a lot and ended up getting a DUI when I was 16 years old, along with some other charges. Felt like my life was falling apart, and so it was in a room like this that I rededicated my life to Jesus. I don't know if that's me. And then I rededicated my life to Jesus again when I was 17, and then 18, and then 19. I don't know if that's you or your story, but it took a little while for it to stick for this guy. It was in a room like this when I was 22 years old that I asked God for my purity back because I was convicted about my sexual sin. It was in a room like this when I was 25, I believe, and I was listening to a communicator and he said, there are some leaders in this room that know that you're being called into full-time ministry. You've just been fighting God about it. And so right now you need to stand to your feet because you know it's you. And I found myself standing to my feet, never having a conversation about this. Emily will tell you, I came home and said, babe, I'm going into ministry. <laughs> and it was a huge shock. I had a great career. There was no reason except God was calling me into it. And so I made a huge transition. It was in a room like this that after Emily and I were married for a few years, we got in a huge fight on the way to church. I'm sure that's never happened to any of you guys. 
But we got in a huge fight on the way to church. And again, we're just, you know, part of a church at that time. I'm not on staff or anything like that. I'm part of a church. And we get there. And even though we're in this big fight, the Holy Spirit moves in her life that day. And she steps forward and goes down the aisle to go get baptized on the spot. And I'm like, you can't do this. We're in a fight. You can't get baptized today. Like, it doesn't, like, get back here, you know. But I put my pride aside very quickly and got up and followed her and got to baptize my wife. It was in a room like this that Emily and I were both convicted. Now, we've never heard the voice of God audibly, but we were in a room like this, and both of us were convicted about the same thing. God is going to challenge us to do something very difficult in two years. We both felt it. God's going to challenge us to do something difficult in two years. In almost two years from that moment, in a room like this, we moved from Arizona to Colorado Springs to plant Trace Church. And it's been in a room like this since we planted and started this church almost five years ago that I've gotten to see nearly 200 people give their lives to Jesus and get baptized in those waters over there. Yeah. I don't know what your defining moment needs to be from one week to the next. But I do know that every time that you show up here, you're increasing the opportunity, the chance of that happening. My hope is that God will give you a lot of defining moments outside of those doors. But what I can tell you is what I know the scriptures to say, that when we gather together in agreement, God's power and God's presence is working more deeply. I've invited the worship team, if you guys want to go ahead and start making your way up here. Uh, I've invited them to lead us in a song today that personally was a refreshment to my soul uh, over the summer. And during some times of discouragement, God used this song just to minister to me. And I asked the team if they would be willing to sing it for us this morning. If you know it, feel free to sing it out. If you don't, just allow the lyrics to be its own sermon. I don't know about you, sometimes all it takes is for a song to be my defining moment. And so I'm going to pray, and then uh, as I do, these guys are going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song called Highlands, the Song of the Ascent. And my hope is that it's a defining moment for you. Father, I'm incredibly grateful for who you are. I'm incredibly grateful for all those different experiences that I've had throughout my life where you met me in places like this and that you allowed me to feel your presence and your power more deeply and get to experience it even. And God, I pray that that is the case in this room every single week. I pray it's the case for the people in this room right now because some people in here need to desperately hear from you. Some people in here right now just need to desperately know that you're there. Some people in this room right now need to desperately feel the grace and be reminded of the grace that is made available for everyone because you're never too far gone to receive the grace of God if you'll just give your life over to Jesus. Lord, let, may this be a defining moment. And may this be a room where it just becomes a breeding ground for defining moments in Jesus from this day forward. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.